Father, we all give you thanks for this time of year, the time that we remember why Jesus came, that he is your gift to us, that we might have the gift of life. We would ask, Lord, that as we examine the scriptures, we would allow you by your spirit to have your effect, that we'd simply not be hearers of the word, but we'd be doers of the word. For we know that those who love you keep your commands. And Father, for those who are unable, we pray for your grace and your mercy to be shed upon them. And may we be carriers of that grace. But Lord, help us to think of ourselves soberly in a way that Scripture sees us. I pray that we would see ourselves. So Father, bless your word as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. There are four types of people, I believe, in church, and this is part of examining ourselves. Yes. Oh, I have coffee. Thank you. I'm all set. Coffee is my medicine of choice. <clears throat> we, have, we have four types of people in the church, and we are supposed to examine ourselves as to which type of person we are. Are we the type of person that has heard the word, received it with eagerness, and we are seeking to be sold out. Are we that type of person? Are we the person that is satisfied but not sold out? In other words, I just heard the statement last week that somebody said, well, so-and-so believes, but they're really not in church. They're not involved at all. Are you the type of person that is seeking and unsure? where you've heard the gospel and you're not quite sure, is Jesus Christ the one? Is he not the one? I need a little more evidence, and so that's why I'm attending church. Or do you feel you're suffering under obligation, that you have to be here and somebody is making you be here and it's a drudgery and you can't wait to get out of here, especially after that preacher is done? Is that the type of person you are? Are you satisfied and sold out? Are you satisfied not sold out? Are you seeking and unsure? Are you suffering and under obligation? And Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, to examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So we're supposed to hold up the Scriptures to ourselves and examine ourselves as if looking in a mirror. And a reflection is going to be there. A reflection is going to be, am I doing what the Scripture says? Or am I not doing what the Scripture says? And by doing so, we can find out which category of individual we are inside the church. Now, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, it talks about, or the Apostle Paul says that he has not reached perfection yet. So this is something that is going to be in this life unattainable that we can't get to the maximum point where we think we ought to be simply because there is the world, there is Satan, and there is our own flesh. But we're supposed to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and forgetting what is behind. We're not to dwell on the things in the past. In Philippians, Paul wrote, Not that I have already attained all this or already have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
And so that's why we come together in church and we're supposed to examine ourselves according to the scripture. And in chapter 10, it's nicely outlined the way that Matthew set it up. And we are certainly supposed to examine ourselves and also to realize what we're supposed to be doing, what our task is. And if we are following through with that task or if we are not, some people believe the purpose of going to church is to make me or to make them feel happy. There are several messages, several verses, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds. When you read them, you don't feel quite so good. Like, unless you repent, you will also perish. Oh, that makes me feel so wonderful on the inside. No, it, it causes me to examine myself and see if I have repented because I don't want to perish. And if you understand what Scripture refers to when it says all of us can perish, then we have a choice to make. When we are not serious, we will not look at those things. We will not examine them. We will not take them to heart and make our decisions. Most of the world hears the gospel, and they don't want to accept it. They don't like the message. Matter of fact, the scripture says that the cross of Christ, the preaching of it in 1 Corinthians, I think it's uh, one eighteen, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Some uh, time in the past I remember hearing, it is an offense to those who are perishing. So when somebody hears the gospel, it is offensive. It appears to be foolishness. If they come into a church, someone like that, and they hear the message of the gospel, they will say... That's ridiculous. I've never heard such a thing. Where is the proof for that? And they become a scoffer. And so I don't think anyone in here is a scoffer, but we are somewhere between scoffer and one who has accepted the word and is sold out or seeking to be sold out like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle says he seeks to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified That is not a depiction of joy except the end result that comes from that. That's where the joy comes from. And so when somebody is in church examining themselves, saying, is this where I am? The scripture reveals my sinful state. It registers regret. Maybe what we should have done or what we should be doing. It restores the psyche when you get into the scripture, and that's good because you are able to see yourself as you truly are. I see myself as I truly am when I look at it, and it gives me balance in my life. I'm not floating around thinking, who am I? No, I know exactly who I am created in Christ Jesus. It reveals the fate of humanity. Some, it's good. For most, it's not. We know that some are raised to everlasting life and some some to everlasting contempt. And it leads us to a place, oftentimes, of sorrow, and ultimately, that will be replaced by rejoicing. So if somebody thinks that coming to church is a place where I go to just feel better, normally we don't. But that's what a lot of people think church is. It's the feel-good syndrome that is out there. We don't want to be offensive Is that not what our society is all about today? Not offending somebody by some Christmas song that is going to be out there? And you got to take that off. But if you turn to a rap station, it's like over the top. But you you can't play this song from the 40s. And by the way, if you know anything about that song, there was something completely different than what they think is going on in that song. Um, It's cold outside. That's the Christmas song that they banned in Ohio. And... uh, 
trust me, it's not all, not all salt and light in that song, but it's not what they think it is. And we're so worried about offending somebody and we're passing laws and you can't say that we must control our speech and all of that. You know, it's a terrible place to be. And we see our world, how it's just declining and it's backsliding and it, it seems like it's going from bad to worse. You know, when I was in junior high, what I had to worry about was taking my comb out in class because they would take it from me. And then I'd have to go back to the teacher. His name was Mr. Sherman. I'd have to go back to my Spanish teacher, Mr. Sherman, and get my comb after school. I couldn't get it after class. It'd be after school. And that would be the punishment. And when somebody got in trouble in class, everybody went, ooh, whoa, whoa. Just because the teacher may have raised their voice. Now it's the teacher duking it out with the students and going fisticuffs. I don't know if you've seen some of those examples that are out there. And so all of this, to give, give us stability as a believer, we're to look at chapter 10 specifically and say, am I doing that? Do I believe this? Do I understand this is going to come? How will it, will it affect my life? And what is supposed to be the outcome of how I'm walking as a believer? If you are truly on the road to being a disciple, it spells out everything in chapter 10 that is going to happen to you and to me and what we can expect. And it's nicely outlined, like I said. Now, there's seven things I'm going to give you here. I may get through all of them. I may not today. But... These seven things are, first you have the separated ones, the apostles, and that's in verse 1 to verse 4. Then they are sent, then they are supernaturally sustained, then they understand suffering will ensue, then they understand they will always be under suspicion by the authorities, and they are not to shrink back or be afraid, and that they are to sacrifice everything to follow Christ. Now all of these things applied to the apostles, the 12 that were being sent out. But they also apply to us. So the separated ones were the 12. And we went through that last week. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. All of those guys were called. They were separated out. There were many more disciples than that, but they were the apostles. And the word apostle means one who is sent. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, are we sent like the apostles? And some would say, well, you know, there are apostles today. For instance, one of the definitions is somebody who goes to a foreign country and they're the first one that is successful in getting the gospel into the country, that's like an apostle. Well, Scripture clearly says that signs, wonders, and miracles follow an apostle. Now, if somebody's going into a country and signs, wonders, and miracles happen, they call down fire from heaven or they raise somebody from the dead and all of that, okay, I'm going to give them, you're an apostle. But if you just want to grab the moniker of an apostle, I would say, where's your signs, wonders, and miracles? Have you caused it to rain? Have you caused the uh, Pacific Ocean to part and you've gone out there and gotten your lobsters by hand without even diving down? That type of thing. What have you done that is a sign, wonder, or miracle where people just marvel at who you are and you, you've been on Channel 10 and 7 and 39 and CNN and ABC and you've been all of those places. If you were truly an apostle, you would be on those places. And so these 12 have been separated for what God has chosen to use them for. In other words, he has chosen them to be sent out. 
Now, Scripture talks about this, that we are sent, but we are separated, we are called, and we are chosen. Now, when, if you are a believer, when was your name written in the book of life? Before the foundations of the earth. And you might say, yeah, but I chose God. Well, no, but he chose you. But Scripture says, I get to choose. But Scripture says, no, he chose you. So which is correct? Both are correct. How do I reconcile that? I get a brain cramp trying to reconcile that. I I can't reconcile it. I don't know how. But Scripture says that is the case. He called us before the foundations of the earth, wrote our names down in the book of life. And yet we get to choose whether or not we're following him. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. So the Lord was talking about, in Second Corinthians here, he's talking about the nation of Israel, calling them out to be a people that is his own. Stuck them in the wilderness for 40 years. Refined them into who they needed to be. God calls us to salvation the same way. Calls us out. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He has called us. It's like, You have a telephone, cell phone, smartphone, whatever it is, the rotary dial, the party line, whatever it was, God called us to salvation. And again, we might think, well, no, I signed up. No, he called us. Both are true. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So if we are saved, he has chosen us. Some people say, well, how do I know if I'm chosen? Well, choose to follow him. Then you'll know you're chosen. You know, it's like, enter ye all he who will is written on the front of the church door. And then as you get inside and you look back like towards the clock, it says, blessed are you who have been called since the foundations of the earth. You know, well, which is it? Uh, You got to come in and he called. So what does it look like to be called? Chapter 10 reveals it. First, We are called, just like the apostles. Then, the second one, I've already said it, we are sent. Now, you might say, what do you mean I'm sent? I'm sent to 7-Eleven to get donuts or maybe to Mary's over there and bring them here. Is that where I'm sent? No. The task that we are sent for is spelled out with the apostles. They were to preach and they were to heal. But you might say, but I don't have the gift of healing. I don't even have the gift of pastor, teacher. I don't have the gift of preaching or prophecy. That's not the point. We are still sent. What are we sent and what are we supposed to say when we are sent? It says in verse 5 there, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter into any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. 
Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. As you go, preach the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Just wanted to put emphasis on that. So we are supposed to do the same thing. If And remember, to interpret Scripture properly, you understand what it means to the people it was given at the time it was written. Then we transfer it to us. Now, obviously, we weren't in the presence of Jesus physically. He didn't turn to us and say, you are an apostle. I want you to go out. But how does it apply to us? We are called. We are also sent to go out to the rest of the world and make sure that they hear the gospel or they understand who Jesus Christ is. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody has to go to a destination. It doesn't mean that. Not everybody can go to a destination. But there can be those who come alongside and are actively involved in the support of another. And what I mean is not passively involved. We are actively involved involved uh i've been to a couple of concerts in my day both uh, christian and non-christian and when i went to uh a couple of concerts like for instance they're making a movie about this guy elton john you know i, I went to see elton john and his flamboyance and the big hats and the costumes and everything that he had and and there were people who were devotees down in front. And it was at the sports arena. They were down in front. And you could tell they were into Elton John. They knew all the words of all the songs. Beach Boys, I talked about that one before. I think Kim was at the same uh, concert. Yeah, we were at the same concert together. <clears throat> and there were devotees that were there at the Beach Boys concerts. And they were into the Beach Boys, and you could tell. And uh, Freddie Mercury, he just had this movie come out, and I don't know if you've seen any live shots of him. He was the main singer in the, the band Queen. And th- there would be tens of thousands of people that he was controlling, so to speak, through song, and their hands, they were all jumping in the same manner. And I, he, They were just devotees. You could tell a devotee of Queen is who they were. Well, are you one that assists the one who is speaking? Are you the one that assists a missionary? Are you the one that actually serves somebody else, whether it is donuts or by prayer or by fasting, or maybe you have the gift of helps? Who are you? It's kind of like this. The book that was written long ago in 1678, Pilgrim's Progress. If you have not read Pilgrim's Progress, you must read it. Now, if you like Elizabethan English, you can read the original. It has all the these and thous and wherefore art thou, all that stuff in there. But you can get a modern-day English version, and it is really a good read. But there is tons of allegory and metaphor inside that book, and you have to understand who the characters are. Like one guy, his name is Christian. What do you think he is? He's a Christian. And he's walking his life and he goes to the cross and he has this burden that falls off his back at the cross. The children's version is really good with the pictorials in there. And you can look at that and you go, wow, I, I understand. But he had some friends. One of his friends who was killed, his name was Faithful. And another one who was hopeful, 
saved his life because Christian had fell into the slew of despond. He was despondent and hopeful came along and pulled him out. Maybe you're like faithful or maybe you're like hopeful or maybe you're like one of the four mistresses of the palace, beautiful discretion, piety, prudence, and charity. I mean, when you read this book, you, you can really get into it if you understand who the characters are there. And there's so many that are described. Maybe you're not doing any of that. Maybe you're just kind of coasting. And remember, the whole purpose of looking at Matthew chapter 10 is to examine ourselves to make sure we're not one of these characters that don't follow what Christ says. For instance, in this same book, there is a man called temporary what do you think he is he's a man that he would be walking along he would be a pilgrim like christian and he's and christian speaks of him in a cautionary way warning of temporary's backsliding before his spiritual progress was complete and so they're all going to the celestial city but temporary is only there for a while. He only hangs on for a while. He's not satisfied. Something just didn't do it for him, and he just kind of checks out. Or he's looking for the happy church, or he's looking for the happy way, and that's not what Christ calls us to. Remember, Philippians chapter 1 says, you have been given the privilege to suffer for him. What a blessed, happy message that is. And it's really not. And I don't say that in order that we might walk out of here Woe is me. I'm called to suffer. No, it's this light and momentary suffering that Paul calls calls it. And remember, he has a thorn in his flesh. And when it refers to a thorn in his flesh, it's not a little rose thorn. It's like a tent peg. That's what kind of thorn in the flesh he had, and that's how he walked. He goes, hey, everything is I count as lost for the sake of knowing Christ because that's what we look forward to. The woman who is giving birth to a child she must remain focused if she doesn't remain focused it can really go wrong or wrongly and and if she just starts screaming and she's losing it she's losing it medicator you know whatever you have to do but god says for the woman after she gives birth the pain is not even remembered for the joy of the child that has been delivered to her And so that's what we go through, the very same thing. It's like, ah, it's a flesh wound. I don't have to worry about it at all, and the flesh is going to die anyhow, so what does it bother me? I have a new body waiting for me. Remember, I I explained this to you before, the book Vanya, in Vanya, and he was a Russian uh, trooper, and he was persecuted for his faith during the Cold War in Russia, and he was so berated and belittled by his uh, his CO that his CO decided to put him in solitary confinement in a little metal box. And what do you think Vanya said, if you remember what I told you before? He goes, praise the Lord, I have a time of prayer and fasting in my own prayer room, is what he said. And he's locked in this little box, solitary confinement, because his CO was trying to persecute him for being a Christian. It's all in our attitude. And that's supposed to be inherent inside of the believer who has been called and who is sent. Now, for those who would doubt if we are in fact sent, well, what about the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that wasn't just the 12 who were listening to this. 
said, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So all disciples are supposed to be engaged in teaching someone else. We are to know enough where we can give instruction to someone else. Now, we don't have to all be biblical scholars, you know, like Eric. We can be someone that understands the scripture enough to say, this is a do and this is a don't. We want to make sure we are following through with the do's and avoiding the don'ts. Also, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. If we don't go, who goes? You might say, oh, somebody else can do it. You know, one thing that just constantly amazes me is how freely people in our society will take their trash and just throw it. You know? If you don't pick it up, who's going to pick it up? Well... The people who have DUIs, they can pick it up, is what they'll say. You know, and they get the weekend jaunt on one of the county roads, and they're picking up trash, and if you don't do that, I've heard that one example of that, uh, one of the sheriffs shows up and says, okay, who here has a back problem? And if you raise your hand, guess what happens to you? You go straight to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. If you can't do the work, you have to serve the time. And so they'll make the people get out there and pick up the trash. But people, they, they have no regard for that. They, they just say, let someone else do it. I'm not going to worry about making it into the trash can. And I have this sick sense of, sick, S-I-C-K, sense of justice. I don't know if you've seen some of these where somebody will throw something out of their car. I've seen one where a girl kicks a bottle that somebody threw out and it goes up like she's a soccer pro and it goes right into the window of the car. I, I just love that. Or somebody who's on a motorcycle, somebody throws their trash out beside their car, they pick it up, they catch up to them on the motorcycle, they say, roll down your window, and they throw the trash inside. I'm sick with that. I just, I get this sense of justice, like, yeah, you know, and, and I know I should be merciful and full of grace. I understand that, and I have to work on that. I understand. But who will go if we don't? And God calls all of us to go. Romans 10:13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14 of Romans 10. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe on the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. And so if all of us go... Talk to someone about the gospel, and that's an art in itself to learn how to do that. But we're supposed to train ourselves and how this is supposed to happen. But all of us are supposed to go. We are all sent. Now, they were supernaturally sustained, these apostles that were sent out. In verse 9, it says, Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or an extra tunic, or sandals, or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there, and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off of your feet when you leave that home. Now, there's so much to say about this. God isn't necessarily calling us to get on a plane, take no luggage, no coat, 
know nothing, and just go to a foreign country and plant like Burma. I'm here. Lord, take care of me. That would be testing the Lord. Don't put the Lord to the test. You know, later on, when right before Jesus was crucified, he told them, take some money with you. You know, a weapon would be good. Take those things along and be prepared. So from this point, he changes it at the end of his ministry just for these 12. He says, I want you to be prepared. So when we go out, we are supposed to be prepared. Now, what they do here is they'll go into a town, and he said, now, if you go into that town or that home and they're not receiving of you, shake off the dust on your feet as you leave as a testimony against them. The rabbinical priesthood, they, what they would do is if they went into a Gentile territory, they felt that they could be sullied or dirtied by just walking into the town or into the country that they are in. And so when they leave... They shake off their feet, wash them because they think that they could be contaminated by that which belongs to the Gentiles. And so that was a habit of them. So Jesus is just kind of reinforcing this idea. If you will not accept the gospel, this is a testimony against you. That's what he's actually telling the apostles and how they're to view what's going on. Now, (coughs) excuse me. When we go out, most will reject the message. Most everyone we talk to. But every once in a while, you'll be able to pluck a rose. And that rose you pluck, it does have thorns on it. Might it be difficult for someone that you give the gospel to to actually spend time with them and raise them up in the faith? (laughs) Let me ask you, if you have children, are they like thorns sometimes? Oh, you bother me today. I love you, but boy, you bother. You cause me pain in my life. Well, the same thing happens with those who become believers. You know, what, what about a, an infant? What do you have to do with the infant? I got to feed you every three hours. What is wrong? And you have to be changed. Look, you've gone and messed yourself. You know, we look at baby Christians. Look, I have to feed you so often. How often do you want to meet? Anyhow, like three days a week. And the person's going, yes. I want to meet. And you're going, oh, oh, I'm so tired. I have to think of these things to teach the person. Where can I get some help for this? It's just like raising an infant if you really do it right for somebody who is hungry for the word. And then they'll fall down. They'll sin. And then you've got to come along. You've made a mess of yourself. Let me pray for you. And you need to repent of that. And so it's just the same thing, only it's in the spiritual dimension. For somebody who wants to be zealous for the Lord, they have to learn to temper themselves. It's kind of like little boys. Little boys, you wind them up and they don't stop. They, they just keep going no matter what it is. And then they crash. And then they get back up and they, they're just going again. You know, that's how a new believer, a zealous believer can be. And you got to kind of hem them in. And God tells us, to do that, but not everybody will accept the message when you give them the message. And again, this is an art. What, how do you do it exactly? If somebody wants, or you see somebody has the need, uh, most people who are perishing don't know what they need. They don't know what they don't know. And so you got to tell them. you got to inform them. you got to give them the Romans road. Not necessarily quoting the chapter and verses, but telling them who Jesus Christ is, which means we have to open up our mouths. And when we open up our mouths, have you heard the phrase, go out and give the gospel and use words if you need to? Have you ever heard that? 
what good is that if they don't understand that they have to receive Jesus Christ and you tell them? So I don't necessarily agree with that particular aspect of it, although we are supposed to be a witness in the way that we live. But at some point, you have to open your mouth and tell them what they need. If they reject it, you and I have done our tasks. We have done our jobs that we have been called to do. But none of us is exempt from this. All of us are called out. Remember, this is for those who would want to be a disciple. And you have to ask yourself, do you really want to be a disciple? Do you really want to go out there and live like Jesus Christ asked us to live, just like he asked these apostles to live? And there's still more here. Not only are we sent, not only are we called, but we're supernaturally sustained when we go out. And remember, there are people who will not receive this. This is not the first time. And when you get rejected, the first time in Scripture that this happens, but when you get rejected, how are you to view that? Most people take it personally. I feel so bad they rejected me. No, they rejected Jesus. That's who they're rejecting. They're not rejecting you. On one hand, you ought not to think so highly of yourself. You know, it's Jesus Christ that they're rejecting. To illustrate this, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, remember when Samuel was the last of the prophets before there was a king? And Samuel was just distraught because the people said, give us a king. And, and they, he told the people, he said, look, God is your king. Why do you want an earthly king over you? And then Samuel felt dejected that they rejected him. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So it is not you and I that they reject. It's Jesus Christ. And we ought not to take that burden on ourselves. I mean, if you did that every time you gave somebody the gospel and they rejected you, you would be a mess because most people reject the gospel. And some are actually hostile to those who would give the gospel. And so our attitude needs to be, you know, they're rejecting Christ and I need to pray for them because they're going to spend eternity separated from God. And so if we hold that attitude, it's good. Verse 15 says, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. And he's talking about the town where you shake off the dust of your feet. Well, the same thing to the person that you give the gospel to that has understood it and says, no, I don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. It is going to be a terrible day on the great white throne judgment when they are resurrected and they realize what they have done. Our job is simply to give the gospel, learn how to do it in which situation. There's a time to speak and a time to remain silent. There's a time to be a companion to those who need the gospel, and there's a time to be a companion to those who are believers. And so sometimes the two mix, sometimes they don't. But as a result of all of these three things that we have first had, suffering will ensue. He told them this in verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. If you were really a sheep, would you turn to a pack of wolves and say, Hey guys, (laughs) over here. Would you say something? No, it's like, no, don't do that. Don't purposely go into a pack of wolves. Remember when we started out, how did they go out? Two by two. 
And don't show up, I'm going to evangelize these people and they're going to be won over for Christ. If he gives me a victory, it'll be wonderful. Or you could die. One of the two could happen. And that's what he's talking about here, the actual context that's given. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, which means you could die. And in that day and age, you could die. And if you go to the 1040 window and you give the gospel, you could die. Just like a missionary in the Indian Ocean that went to the island with the natives. A guy who was shot with arrows. He died. And it's debatable whether or not the Lord called him, did not call him. But you know, the whole world knows about it. And that's pretty amazing. So this, this idea of rejecting people, it's, it's a hard, or rejecting people by the shaking off your feet is going to be terrible for them. That's a hard saying to receive. But suffering will ensue. And it says, therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Now, a snake back in the day of Jesus was considered sagacious or wise, cunning. And he says, be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Have you ever seen a dove attack you? You know, you'd be on a bike and it'd be like a crow or something else Arr! coming in. And now a dove goes, oh, like, who are you? You know, that, that type of thing. Uh, a dove is completely harmless where the serpent is, oh, he is, he knows what he's doing. And Jesus tells us to be like that, wise and sagacious, but harmless. I'm a warm little fuzzy cotton ball and I can be squished. And it's like that, you know what the, as a side note, you know what the greatest toy being sold this year is? It's that little squishy toy. The one where the bubbles, the eyes come out and you just squish it. It's satisfying not only for kids, but also for children. They said they went from $4 million in sales last year to over $100 million this year. That was just a little side note. So I'm going to get back to the scripture here. This idea that we're supposed to be on our guard against men because they would hand the apostles over to the councils and they would flog them in their synagogues, which means the Jews would flog their own. You're going to receive persecution from those in the world. The world doesn't want to accept the message of the gospel, but there are some which have their names written in the book of life before the foundations of the earth, and it's our job to seek them out. There are also those who are under the control of Satan. Satan will use them to persecute. He will use them or even the demons in the spiritual realm to bring persecution, just like Job Job was attacked by demons. They were set loose on him. And then there are those of our own families, both spiritual families and church families. Or That's one and the same. Both are physical families and are spiritual families. There are those in your families. Have you ever tried to witness to somebody in your immediate, fam- in your immediate family, your physical family? They got, at least in my family, who are you? You think you're holier now? That was actually said to me. And I go, yes. No, I didn't say that. I had been sanctified, set apart, but I was giving the gospel to my brothers. I didn't have any sisters. I had three brothers. I gave them all the gospel. They knew what it was. And uh, we'll see how it all ends up in the end. But they, at first, 
they all rejected me. I even went to my parents. You need to be saved. Don't worry about me. I'm doing just fine. Oh, honey. You know, my mom would say, oh, honey. You know, I, you guys got to be saved. You got to come into the family of God. And I would tell them. I, I was so zealous. I probably did a lot of damage. But it, <clears throat> this, this idea that our physical families will reject us, but also our spiritual families. Don't ask me to do that. If you're called to do that, that's fine. But I'm not called to do that. You know, you just go right ahead. Why is he always talking like that? Don't be a, don't be a radical Christian. You know, don't be that sold out. Simon the Zealot, you know, Jesus hired one of the zealots to be out there. What's a zealot? Somebody who was sold out to the max. You want somebody who sold out? Boot camp, Marine. That is sold out. Hoorah! You know, that, that's what they, those guys are sold out and they are a team. SEAL team members, same thing. They would instantly die for one of their fellow SEAL teams members. That's who we're supposed to be. But just, you call up somebody, hey, could you pray for me? What time is it? You're calling me? What? what? That type of thing. What do you mean you want me to help serve? What? You know, I'm awful busy. I got things to do. And the Lord knows we can overdo it. Sometimes we have to have the ability to say no. But more often than not, we say no before we even get the opportunity. And so when an opportunity comes, I, I have developed this attitude because others taught me to do this. If there's a door, push on it. Open it if you can. If it won't open, well, it doesn't open. Or maybe you're just doing it wrong. Have you ever seen uh, what Larson's uh, School of the Gifted little cartoon? I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, Far Side. Yes, the Far Side. <clears throat> this real, it says something, School for the Gifted, and there's a door. Big sign on the door says, Pull. And the guy is there with his book under his hand, and he's like this. He's pushing against the door. You're doing it wrong. You know, there, there's a way that God wants us to pursue him and a way he doesn't. And again, that's a learned thing. That's a learned technique when it comes to discipleship. And so this suffering will ensue. It will be part of our lives. We are being sent out as sheep amongst wolves. We have a target painted on us, especially in the spiritual realm. The enemy knows that we belong to Jesus Christ. And we're not supposed to worry about what we're going to say if we have done our study, if we have some verses memorized, he will use our mouths if we are submitted to him and we bask it in prayer. And it's a fantastic thing to be used like this. Now, will there be disagreements among us even in the spiritual church? Yes. Why does there have to be disagreements? Scripture tells us why there's disagreements. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. No doubt there have to be disagreements among you to show which of you has God's approval. So normally, somebody is correct and somebody is incorrect. And God wants to make a distinction between what is right and what is wrong. And that's what he uses to guide us. We just have to be able to humbly accept, well, you know, I was wrong. 27, almost 28 years of ministry, I've done plenty wrong. And that has guided me into what is right. But if we never put our hand to the plow, we never find out really what's right and wrong when it comes to ministering to others or in ministry itself. And by the way, 
when it comes to ministry, just as another little side note here, if you are in ministry, let me illustrate it like this. Have you ever seen a shepherd get headbutted by the sheep? Have you ever seen that? Like the, the shepherd will be walking along and all of a sudden one of these rams is out there. He backs up like this. And he goes a beeline for the shepherd or the shepherdess. Takes them down. I mean, they're on the ground. They're trying to get up and they're backing up again. And they go right for them. If you are involved in ministry, I promise you one of the sheeps is, sheeps is going to headbutt you. It is going to happen. You are going to be offended. You are going to be insulted. You are going to be hurt. You are going to be damaged. And the first thing you want to do when that happens, guess what it is? Mutton stew. I'm making mutton stew. You want? Uh, I need a wool sweater. You know, you are going to just go after that sheep, but they're not your sheep. You are only an assistant shepherd. You were called to feed the sheep. Bless the sheep. Blessed sheep. Come here, you And you know, that type of thing. And you will be disappointed. You will experience pain. Jesus did. How many people rejected him? Everyone, including those who are closest to him. So who wants to sign up for that? You see, you have to have heaven in mind. Whenever you set out, whether it's to witness or whether it's to minister, you will experience the pain that comes with ministering, with helping others, just like Jesus did and Jesus told the apostles, this will happen to you. And we will always be under, just as they were, suspicion by the authorities. If you've ever tried to get a building permit as a church, have you ever tried to get a building permit? You know, it's just... You get opposed left and right because it's the world system. If you ever try to do an event, being out evangelizing, are you on the sidewalk? Are you setting something up that's an obstruction? Are you being, uh, are you harassing somebody? Now it's going to get even worse. Have you offended somebody by not referring to them in the proper pronoun? Well, what is a proper pronoun? We don't know. There's so many of them. You know, that... We are going to have so many opportunities to offend others. It, it's going to be just rampant, and the authorities will come in and ask us, what are we doing? What are you saying? Why are you stirring these people up? Just like Paul the Apostle. You know, the city authorities, why are you doing this? Yeah, and they'd bring them in, and they'd question them, what's going on? And Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We've gone a little too far. You know, so these things will happen. On my account, verse 18, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. So if you ever get involved in a lawsuit being a believer, maybe you're supposed to be a witness to those who are there. Now I'm going to pick this up on this particular point, point number five. There are more points with this, but remember as we're going through this, we want to examine the scriptures to see, hold them up like a mirror, to see if we are called, if we are sent, if we are supernaturally sustained, if suffering will ensue, we understand that that will be our case as well. We will always be under suspicion by the authorities. We're not to shrink back or be afraid of what might happen to us. And we're to sacrifice everything to follow Christ. Those are the seven things 
in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. My prayer for you is that you're able to take this message, take these words, not my message, but the message from the Scripture here, hold it up and say, am I like this? Have I been called? Am I sent? Am I willing to suffer the persecution? Am I willing to sacrifice everything to follow Christ? I pray you examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. And if you have any doubt, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead for you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how it reveals so much. And for your apostles, the lessons that they learned, the instruction that they received may become ours as well. May we sit at your feet and contemplate these things which are listed. May we not turn away, but Father, where we lack the strength or the desire, we pray as a church that you would fill us. And Father, for those who are doing exactly what you have called them to do, bless them, Lord, for there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. May they be encouraged and lifted up. But may we all still examine ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.